Hello and welcome to another episode of the NBCSports.com College Basketball Talk Podcast. My name is Rob Dosser. It's February 23rd. And I'm joined today by my buddy from The Ringer now, uh, Mark Titus of Club Trillion fame. Mark, what's going on, man? How you doing? Not a whole lot, man. Just I'm, I'm browsing through Twitter right now. NBA trade line, deadline's going on. I'm not much of an NBA guy, but um, I love the, the Twitter trade deadline stuff. This is fun. This is a, I love the gifts that everyone's replying to Woj when he drops the um, you know, like the, the 12th guy on the bench got traded for cash and everyone's overreacting to it. This is, this is awesome. So <laughs> I love watching the battles between like Woj and Mark Stein and, and Jeff Green right. and all these people that are all plugged in trying to figure out the, the last couple of details of a trade that doesn't really matter all that much to anyone doesn't except matter. for maybe like 10 people that are fans of one team. Listen, man, I, I'm sure you agree with me that I, I love overreaction with sports that's that's what i live for that's why i do this job um anytime there's overreaction i'm there for it and and that's what the trade deadline provides so that's what i got going on in my life right now speaking of overreaction uh last night during the louisville north carolina game which we're going to talk about uh a little bit more in depth rick patino went after a fan yeah on the baseline for saying patino you suck according to uh espn's maria taylor who was within earshot of the fan and then he ended up getting ejected from the game um I that mean, can't be true. If of all the things that you could say to Rick Pitino right now and have her right. react like that, it's Pitino, you suck. Yeah, that can't be true. It, it, the, the way she spelled it out too, she she reported that that the fan said Pitino, you s u c k, and she like whispered it too, like she was saying something. Bad. Yeah, like she like she is gonna. I mean, listen, I used to work for ESPN, so I sort of get the uh, the temptation to err on the side of of being a Disney. Um, representative or whatever, however you would word that. I'm doing it right now. Like I'm scared to say the wrong thing now. So I get why she did that, but there's no way the fans said you suck, Patino, and he went that crazy, right? Like I don't know, I, but but it was it was hilarious nonetheless. We need more of that in college basketball. I love to see coaches lose their minds. Um, I don't know the, for really this, no reason either. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah this is this is stuff I like. And, and Louisville's new to the ACC. We're not really sure who Louisville's rival in the ACC is yet. Um, I'm not saying North Carolina and Louisville are going like, to have a rivalry, but uh, when more of this stuff happens, that's good. I want that. I want Louisville to hate – to hate because like, you know Louisville fans saw that and they're like, oh, those Carolina fans are so unclassy. And now they're, they're going to start talking or, or crap, sorry, about uh, North Carolina fans. Um, so, yeah, this, this, is good for, this is good for college basketball. <laughs> I like how you were just talking about how you have to be – uh, careful about what you say, and you start right. coming on and, and cursing on my podcast. Cursed, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and, and that actually happened a day after Coach Cal had that same chant going uh, when he was on an ESPN interview, which was pretty great too. Because that, did you see that? Yeah, I did see that. Yeah. There, there was it was this awkward interaction. Um, I'm sure everyone that's listening to this has seen it by now, but uh, Coach Cal was asked about it by the sideline reporter as he was trying to walk away, and he just didn't answer the question. Just completely I, I, blew her off. Yeah, I used to make fun of Coach K for not ever doing these halftime interviews on the way to the locker room, but now I'm starting to see why he's not into that, like why he makes his assistants do that. that I think he's onto something there because that was <laughs> – yeah, the, Cal did not want any part of that interview. So. Yeah, that was, I think that was a better blow-off than anything Greg Popovich has ever done. Right. He right. needs to start taking notes from Cal. Right. All right, so let's talk about what happened last night. You said you watched the ACC game, so uh, let's yeah. get into it. What was your biggest takeaway from North Carolina-Louisville? Uh, North Carolina looks good, man. I thought Louisville, going into that game, I, I, I still sort of think this, but like Louisville feels like a national title team to me. Like They're not fun to watch necessarily. They kind of play ugly, but they play they play Louisville basketball so well. Like They're, they're so long and deep, and they play great defense. 
And when, when like Mitchell and Snyder are hitting shots and Adele sometimes, when those guys are like actually hitting shots, Louisville looks really, really good. So going into that game, I thought, you know, Louisville to me looked like a national title contender, certainly uh, a, a final four contender and Carolina just, I don't know. They, they just imposed their will and, and, it's got me rethinking things, you know, like I know it was at Carolina and, and it was just a regular season game. That game probably meant more to Carolina than Louisville because uh, Carolina needs the one seed and, and Louisville, I'm not sure how much winning there matters in the, in the, the big picture. Cause they probably weren't going to win the ACC anyway. But um, yeah, I came away like really impressed. Uh, I think Theo Pinson is a huge deal for Carolina. Like he's completely changed that team. Like him, him, Jackson and Barry are all like perfect for Roy Williams system. They all just, play so well together and, and fit into that so well. So uh, I'm starting to drink the Kool-Aid. I feel like Carolina is the trendy national title pick um, from what I can tell, having my finger on the pulse of, of guys like you and I who do this for a living. Um, and I'm starting to come around on that. Yeah, I, I started to come around a couple weeks ago. Um, but it's just, to me, it's been the way that Justin Jackson's been playing. Like he's kind of yeah. stepped up. Like we've always been waiting for this guy to be a star on that team, right? It's always kind of been like, well, Joel Berry isn't necessarily consistent enough to be able to trust for something like that and, you know, trust you to get five, six wins in a row against good competition um, right. in a knockout tournament. But when you have Justin Jackson playing the way that he's been playing, I, I think that you can kind of survive a little bit of issues with uh, with Joel Berry and the nights that he doesn't always show up. Right. I mean, when, when Jackson's hitting threes, like last night, he, he, he was thinking he was four for nine, if I remember right, from the three-point line. Um when he's doing that, I mean, he's unstoppable in that system where it's, you're just running up and down, and you got a six eight guy that's just unguardable. Um, I, I I was at the uh, uh, Kentucky game in, in Vegas watching Kentucky try to guard him, and one of the that was one of the things that like jumped out to me too was Malik Monk had whatever it was like forty I forget what it was forty seven or something on Carolina, and that's what everyone was talking about. But Justin Jackson was like unreal that that game, um, and and that was kind of the I'm, I'm with you like I would watch that and think like if this dude could do this consistently, like Carolina is going to be terrifying. And he finally is starting to do that. Like he just is a, I don't, I, I'm not sure like how good he would be. He would still be good. I'm not sure how good he would be on in other programs, but like when you plug him into that up and up and down system and, and let him lose, man, he's, he's fun to watch. Yeah. It seems like he's finally got a little bit of confidence in, in what he can yeah. do too. And I think that's half the battle of it also. Like when he's open, it's just one of those things where you're like, all right, that's a bucket. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Like he, I, I, last year, I feel like um, maybe the numbers don't support this, but last year when he would shoot it, it as a fan, like if I was watching that champion North Carolina, I would think like, I hope this goes in. And now when he's shooting threes, it's like, that's it. And just go down to the other, other end of the court. Um, so yeah, I'm sure he's worked on that a lot in the off season and, and it's definitely shown. What's your concern with North Carolina? If there's a, a red flag for them, for me, it's going to be the health of Theo Pinson and, and Isaiah. Yeah. Hicks. Can they stay on the floor? Uh, and you know foul trouble with Isaiah Hicks. Foul as well. trouble, yeah. Hicks foul trouble. Um, Hicks is a big piece. Hicks is the guy that that fits that um, the mold of what a Carolina big man usually is. Um, like Meeks is Kennedy. Meeks is good, but uh, I'm I'm not sure. He, he doesn't like look like a Carolina big man. If that makes sense. Like you, you think about the like the Bryce Johnsons and the Tyler Hansbros and the guys that run up and down and, and are versatile and can step out and hit 15 foot jump shots. That's that sort of stuff. Um, that's Isaiah Hicks to me. And yeah, he, he always seems to be in foul trouble. And my buddy on the the ringer, the podcast that I do, uh, Tate Frazier, he's a Carolina grad. 
he always complains to me. He'll, he loves Isaiah Hicks as his favorite player. He'll always complain to me about how unlucky Isaiah Hicks is and how like all these fouls are bad calls and he gets caught in these bad positions. And I'm and I was listening to him for a while, but we're at the point now where it's like how how many times can this happen where we still are blaming it on bad luck? So um, at some point, you know, you got to take responsibility for that or be aware of that and and stay out of foul trouble. And I I'm with you. Like if, Hicks has got to stay on the floor, I think for Carolina to to reach their true potential. What's your take on Duke now? I think Duke's fine. Like I, I think last night losing to Syracuse was not a big deal. Um, I, I, you mean losing on the road on a banked in three at the buzzer? Right. Is, it does, doesn't tell you that your team's terrible. Yeah, like I, I know people are going to overreact, and anytime Duke loses, anytime Duke does anything, it's amazing. And I, I certainly lead the charge there because I, I love the Duke gossip with this season. Um, it, the, the whole it's story. Been so much fun, man. It's been so fun, uh, and and not to brag, but I totally called that this players only meeting would happen. That uh, they would hit a they would hit rock bottom and and rally the troops and bring it together. And I think they won like seven in a row heading into that game, and and they lose on a bank in three. Like I'm not going to overreact to that. I'm going to overreact just to have fun and, and talk about Duke. But um, as far as their their title chances and all that kind of stuff, they're they're fine to me. Like I, I, the, the big thing with them is is kind of still figuring out the roles like who's the best player because for a while it was pretty obviously canard um i still think canard could be the best player but tatum is actually coming around because like tatum thought he was the best player but he wasn't for a while he was just like the most talented had the most potential but now he's starting to actually play like the best player so uh that's going to be interesting to watch for me because th- there seems to sort of be a power struggle still between canard and tatum and even grayson allen like Grayson Allen says he's fine running the point and kind of distributing stuff, but he had a lot of quick shots last night, and it looked like he was sort of hunting his shot, um, maybe a little more than than what you'd want out of a point guard, surrounded by 13 McDonald's All-Americans or whatever the hell it is they have. Um, yeah, and he bricked so, a lot of them too. Like he had yeah. those threes he normally gets; they're like 25 footers from the top of the key, but he normally knocks those down and like he threw some of right. those off the side of the backboard, and and they just didn't look good. So I I don't know if he's healthy or. Or what's right. going on there? But I think that I, I really do think that he's been able to kind of embrace this idea that he's going to uh, yeah. at least play the point guard spot. I don't know if it means he's going to be great at it, but I think that he understands that that's where he has to be on this team. Right? Yeah. Like that's that's what last night uh, I just pulled it up here. You, Grayson was two for eleven, um, and ideally to me, like he he misses his first five or six or whatever it is, and he goes, "Okay, it's just not my night. Let me get these other guys going." And there, there's still that part of him that's like, I was the preseason player of the year. I have to score. This is what I do. This is what I've always done my whole life. Um, it's not a bad thing, like, because when he's hitting, he's obviously one of the best players in the country. But um, like last night was a perfect example to me of, of a game where Grayson should have just been like, okay, I'm not going to shoot this game. This is my game where I get everyone involved. Um, I, I just get the offense going and maybe play a little defense because that, that's the other concern with Duke is just defensively. Um, that's been their concern all year. They play great defense some games. They don't other games. Uh, it, it's hard to tell what, what you're going to get out of them there. Yeah, I think a big help for them has been Jason Tatum on that end of the floor and his ability to rebound yeah. out of the four spot. Like, I thought that he was kind of soft, at least through yeah. the first, like, month that he was healthy. But now he's coming out and getting, like, 12, 13 rebounds a night. And, you know, he's not getting pushed around by guys that are bigger than him and stronger than him. And I think he's shown a little bit of toughness that um, I didn't think that he had earlier in the year. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um Another guy too, Giles is a. Uh, it's so sad how we talk about Harry Giles, but uh, he he's coming around. Like he's not going to be the Harry Giles that I thought he would be. 
Um, I don't really follow recruiting that closely. That should be my caveat here. I just hear things, and I hear that Harry like I heard that this class was loaded, and that Harry Giles was the number one recruit. And so I was like, okay, this guy's going to be amazing. Um, and then you, you kind of watch him, and he's obviously tentative with his knee and stuff. And it's so sad that, that that we've gotten to this point where it's like, oh, he he actually made that layup. That was a really good move there. That was good job, number one recruit. Um, not, and it's not his fault, by the way. Like I'm not making fun of him. Um, I'm just saying how how bad injuries suck, but. He's coming around to me. Like I'm not sure what role he's going to play, but uh, you can tell how how talented he is, and it, it's sort of the same thing. Like I would watch him earlier in the year when he was coming back, and he looked he looked a little soft, a little out of place, and understandably so. Um, but he he's been making some plays, uh, doing doing some good stuff. So I'm I'm interested to see what role he plays moving forward, or if he's just going to be like a seven to ten minute a night guy, grabs a couple rebounds and sets a few screens. Um, I don't know. I I think he'll get there. You know, I, yeah. I don't think he's ever going to be a guy that that is going to be what he was when he was in high school. And I saw him play a couple times at Peach Jam in high school, and like the, all that hype that you heard was like the real deal. He was yeah. awesome, um, but he also didn't play basketball for 14 months. And after recovering from an ACL surgery, he had to get a procedure on the other knee. So it, it's just think yeah. about like sitting on your couch for 14 months, not doing anything, and then going out and trying to do. Right. Like an athletic in any kind of athletic activity, let alone like playing basketball in the ACC for Coach K. Right. So it's not easy to just that's kind of real. come up out of nowhere, nowhere, and, and go and do this stuff. Yeah, that's a real thing, man. Like I had, I had, and I'm not trying to compare myself to Harry Giles. I'm just trying to. Um, I think you were better, anyways. Use whatever experience I have. Uh, but I, I had shoulder surgery after my during my senior year at, at Ohio State, and. I was out for nine months. Like I wasn't actually, I was out, I was out for four years when I was at Ohio State, let's be honest. Um, but I was out for nine months from having the shoulder surgery. And when I came back, I was so scared to do anything. Like I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't rebound. It was my left shoulder and a rebound would come towards my left side. And I'd like reach across my body with my right arm to grab it. Cause I was scared to lift my arm. Um, I wouldn't like reach in to swipe ball handlers, like from help side defense. Uh, I wouldn't reach in with my left hand to try to swipe the ball away. Cause I was scared. My shoulder would like pop out. Uh, so that kind of stuff, like I totally get. That, and you didn't have like ten millions dollars of, of right, right earning potential on the line. With that's uh, just not a fabric. I guess the the point I'm making is like that's not a fabricated excuse that that people are using just to kind of coddle Harry Giles. Like that's a real thing that that um, at least from my experience that that psychological thing when coming back from a major surgery. So um, yeah, I, th- I think he's coming around now. He's he's building some confidence. So. I'm let's, not worried about Duke, though. Let's pretend you are Harry Giles, all right? And uh, it is the the NBA draft early entry deadline. Would you go pro hoping that you get picked based off of what your potential is in a difficult draft this year? Or would you come back for your yeah. sophomore season and then hope that, like, you return to, like, uh, like Harry effing Giles and you come right. out and you yeah. average, like, 20 and 10 in a weaker draft and you can go, like, maybe top five or something like that? If it was me, man, I would go. I think you, I think you just have to go and, and, and ride the potential out because um, – there's just no no way of knowing what's going to happen uh, if he comes back. Maybe he tears another ACL or has another knee thing. And I, I say this as a guy who's really good friends with Greg Oden. Um, so uh, I've talked to him about this sort of thing before. Like, because because he was more he was more he was closer to coming back than I think most people realize. Like he after his freshman year, he actually did make a decision. He didn't know the entire season what he was going to do, whether he's going to leave or not. Um, so he kind of talked about. I talked to him about that all the time, and he's like, "I'm I'm really glad I went, obviously, because of the injuries and all that kind of stuff." So, um, yeah, I think you just go and you figure it out, like if, if that's your dream. But I, I don't really know what his motivations are. Maybe maybe he was a guy who really wanted to win a national title, so maybe you stay for that. But 
I, I assume he's an NBA guy, so I, I would just go if I was him. Yeah, you might as well get the money while you can. And, right. you know, what, what's an extra $5 million guaranteed on your first contract when all the money you make is whether or not you can get a second contract anyway? So, right. Um, speaking of Greg, like, how, how's he doing there? Are you around the program at all still? Yeah. Uh, yeah, like, I'm not, I'm not in any sort of official capacity whatsoever. I just go – I'll go work out at the gym and run into guys every so often. Uh, so, I, but, but I see Greg, like I'm friends with Greg off the court, obviously. So um, he, he's still involved in the program. And I, I talk to him every now and then, but uh, yeah, he's doing well. He's, he's going, he's taking classes full time, um, actually pursuing his degree, which I found shocking. He told me he was going to do that. And I thought you're going to last maybe two weeks and, and give this up. Cause you don't like, it's, it, it sounds so noble to say, I'm going to go back and get my degree, but it's a whole nother thing to be sitting in class with 18 year olds and you're a multi-million dollar first number one overall pick who was a, an all American, you know, and, and you're almost 30. Um, so I called him out on that and to his credit, man, he's still going to classes. He's still pursuing it. He does. He's not really sure what he actually wants to do when he gets his degree, but uh, getting his degree is very important to him. So that's pretty cool, I guess. Yeah, and uh, I'm sure he's doing that just because he wants to prove you wrong. Yeah, right. That's, that's all it is. <laughs> that's all it is. He wants to prove you wrong. So. All right. I do want to talk a little bit about Villanova, but since we're on the topic of Ohio State and the Big Ten, you yeah. wrote something interesting the other day for the ringer about the Big Ten and why it is terrible right now. And I'm just kind it's of curious. Um, why do you think it's gotten to the, the position that it's in? Well, you know, before that, why don't you just kind of take me through, like, what inspired yeah. you to write this and why you think that the Big Ten is awful? So I got called out by a lot of people because um, Ohio State is bad and Indiana is bad, and those are my two favorite teams. I grew up in Indiana. I grew up a Hoosier fan, and then I obviously played at Ohio State. So those are like the two teams I, I like the most. And a lot of people said the only reason I think the Big Ten's bad is because those two teams are bad, and that, that that's probably part of it. But what really happens is I just like I, – I always gravitate to Big Ten basketball, and I feel like this is pe- – people all over the country do this for whatever conference you grew up on. And I grew up on Big Ten basketball, so if, if it's a Tuesday night and there aren't really any compelling games on, I'm just going to throw the Big Ten game on. Um, and that's what I always watch. So I've, I've watched a ton of Big Ten this year, and it just feels like a completely different sport. It's just like the, the style of play. It's not even – and you and I, I, last year or two years ago, uh, whatever it was, when Virginia was at their peak, um, running their – walk the ball up the floor, wait till there's three seconds left and shoot it offense. Um, you and I talked about how much we love that. Like it's not, it's not the tempo that I don't like about big 10 basketball. I'm totally fine with slow basketball. It's, it's just the style. It's just like every team is just so rigid to me, I guess would be the word to describe it. If you're fluid and you play slow, like I'll, I'll enjoy it and watch it and I'll, I'll appreciate what you're doing, but there are just so many whistles. There's, it feels like every game in the Big Ten, there are more fouls than than made shots, or there are more turnovers than assists. That's the way I would describe it, and and I sw- I, I swear that's true. Like every single game, it feels that way, and I don't know. It's just not fun to watch. Like if you step back and you're like, okay, let's pretend that these jerseys said UNC Wilmington and and Texas Tech or something, would I would I be interested in what's going on out there? And the answer is no. No, I wouldn't. The only reason I care is because it says Wisconsin and Michigan State. Um, so that was pretty much the gist of the article is it, it makes me sad that I, I'm i watching this only because I feel like I'm obligated to and I'm not really that excited to be doing it. What do you think the reason for this is? Is it just a cyclical thing? Like when Indiana is not good and Michigan State isn't good yeah. and Ohio State isn't good, like those are three of maybe the four or five best programs yeah. in the conference when they're when they're down the league's going to be down like if north carolina duke and louisville all right. weren't very good the acc wouldn't be very good but is or is this a bigger thing that, about big 10 hoops yeah i wasn't i guess like 
a lot of people misunderstood. I wasn't trying to write an obituary. Like, I don't think this is, you know, I think Big Ten will be fine. It, it always is fine. This is cyclical. Um, if you look back at the history of the Big Ten, there's always a few years where it, it sucks, and then it, it S-U-C-K-S's, I guess I should say. Um, <laughs> and, then it, and then it comes back, and it has a great – like, because uh, one of the points I made there was, like, it wasn't that long ago the Big Ten was the best league in the, in the country. And in 2013, when, when Indiana was ranked number one for most of the year, Michigan ends up going to the national title game. And the Michigan State and Ohio State were, like, in the top ten, top five all year. Uh, they had four teams that were good enough to win a national title, and, and it was – insane that season um that wasn't that long ago so like that's going to come back i'm sure Th these things always work that way um the, the issue to me is that when the big 10 is in a down year it's just it's not fun to watch like i it there 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 are teams that there are conferences that have down years that still put out like fun products that still have compelling things going on and it's just the the style of play in the big 10 that we've gotten to this point where um it just feels like football mentality has come over to the basketball court. We're like back in the early 1900s, you ran the, you ran the football and you punted and that's how you played football in the big 10. And that was the style of football. And like that got, that got moved over to the basketball court. And that's just what the style has been throughout history in big 10 basketball. And as we get to this point in basketball history, we're like, we're shifting to, to pace and space um, especially in the NBA, but that's bleeding down to the college game. And you see teams running and, and gunning and, and spacing the floor and stuff that hasn't really translated it over to the big 10. Like Michigan state wants to do that. I think Michigan wants to do that. Um, Indiana, Indiana tries to do it. Indiana tries to do it. Like teams want to do it, but they start to do it and it doesn't work. And they're like, yeah, we got to go back to what's comfortable. And then they slow it down and foul and, and lean on each other on defense. And it just becomes this, this mess. Um, so, yeah, like, I don't think the Big Ten's doomed. I don't think, like, this is a problem that needs to necessarily, like, be a – I don't think Jim Delaney needs to, like, freak out and worry about the future of his conference. Um, I just – I'm just speaking, like, from a fan. Like, right now, I'm not excited about the Big Ten, and, and that's kind of disappointing because uh, the other point I would make is a lot of people would bring up, like, the SEC or the Pac-12 and be like, well, they're not good basketball conferences either. They have this, this, and this going on. I'd say like, yeah, but they don't pretend to be one of the best basketball conferences. Like the Big Ten to me is always like, we like to think of ourselves, and I'm saying we because I'm a Big Ten guy. We like to think of ourselves as like neck and neck with the ACC. And that's clearly not the case right now. And, and you know, sometimes a dose of reality is the best thing. So take me through what's going on with the Ohio State program right now. It, yeah. I, I look back at it and I think it was – they. You guys won the Big Ten regular season title five out of seven years. Is that right? Yeah, I didn't. Yeah. I, I didn't realize it was it was that kind of dominance in the league. And now that, what is it going to be the second straight year that, that they missed the NCAA tournament? What's going on there? Um, yeah, like that. That dominance was, yeah. At one point, Thad, uh, it was like a, the first first ten years in the Big Ten, he was the the best Big Ten coach in terms of wins and titles and all that. Even better than like Izzo and Bo Ryan and all those guys. Uh, so he had a he had a heck of a run there. Um, I don't know where you start. It's it's it's. I mean, you'd start with like the, they missed on recruits. They had a, a recruiting class that wasn't as good as as what they'd hoped. Um, I, I won't throw guys under the bus, but I think anyone who kind of closely follows Ohio State basketball knows the class I'm talking about. Uh, they, they weren't they weren't terrible players. They just weren't like. I mean, when you're when you're bringing in Greg Odens and and Mike Conley's and and Evan Turner's and all those guys for for five to six years and then uh you just bring in some some role players with no stars uh that's kind of what you run into um 
they got hit with the the one and done bug. You, you had some guys leave, like Deshaun Thomas left early. He had one more year of eligibility left, and and just decided to go pro and didn't get drafted, or or he did and didn't end up in the NBA. Uh, LaQuentin Ross did the same thing. He he was a junior when he left, um, and and he was the leading scorer and one of the best players and could have really helped. Uh, so stuff like that, and that happens at every program. I I don't I don't mean to make excuses and pretend like that's unique to Ohio State, but uh, it's certainly something that that causes a ripple effect and you scramble to try to replace that kind of stuff. And um, I don't know, they, they just haven't really figured it out. I, the other thing I would say is like it, it, Ohio state is not as good of a program as Thad Mata made it. Um, he definitely overachieved. And, and that's kind of a tough pill for Ohio state fans to swallow is that what, what he did his first 10 years is not, is not the norm at Ohio State. That was the exception. And what he's doing now is kind of the norm. Um, and I, I don't know. That, that, that's, I guess, how I see it. So, yeah, I, I don't know if I would say – so I don't know if Ohio State is a great basketball program. I do think it's a really good basketball job, though. Yeah, yeah. Like, they have the resources to be good. Um, but the, the arguments I always get into are our fans will complain about the recruits. And they're like, why can't we get the top recruits anymore – why is this? Why? Why does? Why do Duke and Kentucky get all the great recruits and we don't, and, and and stuff like that? And my answer is like, just go to the games. Like, if you go to Ohio State basketball game right now, tonight they'll play. They play Wisconsin. There, there will be like eight, nine thousand people there, and they'll say there's twelve thousand, but there will be like nine thousand people there, um, and the arena holds seventeen thousand. Um, and and I don't tell people how to spend their money. Like, you don't have to go to the games if you don't want to, but. The Duke fans are going to those games. If Duke if Duke was 0-30, they would still be going to the games. Like like the year Indiana won six games and won a Crean's first year, they were still selling 14,000, 15,000 tickets a night and packing that place. And um, like that's just the culture that these programs have. And when you kind of have a situation where Ohio State has some down years, like who what, what recruit's going to come to a game there and be like, yeah, I want to be a part of this when, when the fans are, you know, unless we're winning, they're not going to show up. And – I'm not putting the blame on the fans because I know it's a chicken and egg thing. Like the fans aren't coming because the team sucks and then the team doesn't give recruits because the fans aren't coming. But that's just the reality of the situation. If you look around the country, like what, what blue blood football programs have sustained great basketball programs? Like it just doesn't happen. Michigan went to the national title game in 2013. They had a couple bad years and they're sort of kind of figuring out how to get back. Like Texas has had some issues. Um, on Florida had Billy Donovan, but – they won yeah. back-to-back titles and then went to back-to-back NITs. Right, like Florida had to re reset their system. Like it's it's hard, it's it's impossible. Like we there it, it literally doesn't happen to have a football program just just churn out sweet 16s and and conference titles year after year after year. Like you have to at some point take a step back. That's just how college sports work. So, um I'm optimistic that that's what's happening. And, and I trust Coach Mata. Like the, the talk of firing him is just absolutely absurd to me for a lot of reasons. One, he's the most successful coach Ohio State has ever had. Um, so like if you fire him, what coach is going to want to follow that? What coach is going to say like, oh, you just fired the greatest coach you've ever had? Sure, I want to sign up for that job. That seems like a fun job. Um, but more importantly, like the guy brought the program to heights. The only reason people care enough to get upset that Ohio State is bad is because that Mata made them care. So um, I'm very much still a supporter, but – Having said that, I am I am bummed out by the way this season has gone because this team should be better than what they are. Uh, they find a way to lose a lot of close games, and that's really frustrating. Yeah, I think that's a, a good point that you made. The reason there's expectation there is because Thad Mata cr- 
created that yeah. expectation. I'm not delusional, man. Like I don't think I don't think like he's the greatest coach in the country and he's beyond reproach and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I just think you know taking a step back and, and evaluating where the program was and the direction of the program. Like everyone act, everyone in Columbus acts like the sky is falling, and and this season like they're they're not that bad. Like if you actually watch the games. Ohio State is in a lot of games. They could easily have won six or seven games that they've lost, which I know that's kind of what separates the good teams from the or the the average teams from the great teams. Or you win those games. Um, I know that there's that that's part of it, but uh, it's not like they're getting blown out every night and they're just putting a, a an abysmal product on the court. Um, they're close, so it's not uh it's not that bad, but it is bad, and and I want them I want them to do better. So. All right, let's circle back real quick. Villanova yeah. lost last night at home to Butler. They got swept sure. by Butler this year. Is that just a matchup thing to you, or should we actually be concerned about uh, about Villanova this season? Um, I, I, it's clearly a matchup thing. Like, I, I think Villanova, the thing that would worry me about that is, like, Butler plays really physical defense. Um, that, that's been Butler's MO for 10 to 15 years now is, like, foul so much that the ref can't call every foul and, and then just kind of rough them up and go from there. Um and and that's kind of that would be the concern I guess moving forward in a in an NCAA tournament situation where you, you you don't have the luxury of making adjustments after you know you lose a game like that and you're like okay so we're here's how we're going to approach the next game once you lose you're out so um, you know like a physical defense might give Villanova problems but I don't know I'm still I still think they're fine I I'm sort of worried that they only play six guys that isn't the greatest thing in the world um, I want Mikhail Bridges to be better I I. I don't understand why he's not really, really good because he has all the tools to be really, really good. And um, there's, there's stuff like that that kind of turns me off on Villanova. But uh, yeah, there's still, if you look at like the resume and what they've done this year and, and the pieces that they still have, uh, I'm not worried about it at all. Yeah, it's, it's kind of hard to overreact about a game where they shot six for 24 for, from three, missed three front ends in the second half and uh, lost the game to a team that beat them once, that's beaten – Right, uh, Arizona that has I mean Butler's probably going to end up being a uh, a three or four seed in the tournament at this point so I don't know if it's really something that we need to Phil- overreact to it should be said Villanova doesn't really have much to play for either like they basically have the one seed in the east locked up um, they have the big east more or less locked up uh, I mean like they, they won the national title last year they like what what is it that these guys are going out every night and and trying to prove at this point um so this is like the to, to them. This is probably just the dog days of the season, and they're kind of just I don't know. Maybe I'm making excuses for them. But no, that's a good point. I didn't really think about that. That's why I'm not really worried about it. It's like they like you don't really have much to play for, and Butler does have stuff to play for. Like Butler has like a weird resume, and and like you said, it could be a three seed. They could be like if they lose if they lose last night by by 15, and then they kind of struggle down the stretch. Maybe they're like a six seed. Who knows? So Butler has a lot of. Uh, had a lot to play for, and and they're figuring things out too. So, um, yeah, I'm not really worried about Villanova. I think they're still a one seed, and it's really interesting how if if we would have been talking about this a year ago, we would have said like, "Oh, I'm very worried about Villanova. They always choke in the tournament. They're always, you know, they can't get it done." But winning a like, national title changes a lot of different things yeah, about the perception yeah. of your program. Is that what you're saying? That's, that, that's very interesting how that works out. Yeah, but but with that, I guess we could talk about this maybe Gonzaga, like. That seems to be the Gonzaga seems to fill Villanova's void now that Villanova won the national title. Like now, people are saying that about Gonzaga is like, well, they always choke. They're not going to do that. Not gonna... It's like, well, we said this about Villanova. Villanova doesn't win anything until they do. I mean, that's how these things work. Is like at some point, 
you think like a team is going to break through and do it. So, um, I mean, we said the same thing about Bill Self. We said the same thing right. about Jim Calhoun. It, it's funny how it works like that. You can't win the big one until you actually win the big one. Yeah, right, right. So, um, do you think? What's your take on Gonzaga? Do you think that they are a national title contender? How good are they? Are they the best team in the country? Like Ken Palm says, they are. I actually do. I actually think Gonzaga is the best team in the country. And um, the, the way I would phrase it is, I don't think they're the best team in the country just because they're undefeated. I think they're undefeated because they're the best team in the country. Like you watch those guys play. Um, people who people who haven't paid any attention to Gonzaga, and I don't blame you if you haven't, because they're rarely on tv and when they are it's like it feels like it's 11 p.m eastern every night and they're playing some tiny school they're going to beat by 50 um but if you haven't really watched them play you assume that this is probably like a similar gonzaga team to the all the other ones where they have like a bunch of role guys and one guy who's maybe three inches taller than he should be and that's why they're so good is because they just lean on that guy who's like a morrison who's a a mismatch nightmare and and then he's surrounded by a bunch of really good mid-major players that is not the case. Gonzaga has a lot of high, like literally high major players, guys who played high major basketball and transferred there. They got uh, McDonald's All-Americans. They got multiple McDonald's All-Americans. They got um, Karnowski is like one of my favorite players in, in the country. He's I love absolute, him so much. God, he's so fun to watch. That St. Mary, I was like giggling like a schoolgirl watching that St. Mary's game, how he started that game. He's just giving St. Mary's work. Um, a big, so yeah, fat, got, balding guy with a huge beard. How could you not love him? Yeah, from Poland, and he, and I want to say that was the game where like I think he did that interview with Billis, and he talked about how much he hates American food. He just wants to eat Polish food, and I love that. I love that about him. Um, but yeah, Gonzaga, like the, the thing that stands out when you watch him is that every guy who sees the floor is is trying is like a killer. Like he's out there to to score, to to make plays, to do things. They don't really have role guys. They're they're not out there to just sort of like set screens and move the ball. Like every single guy that's out there has something to prove, has a chip on their shoulder either because they're a transfer or they're like a foreigner or whatever the hell they are. Um, they are really, really, really good. And uh, if, if, the, if their jersey said Kentucky, people would think they're clearly the best team in the country, I think. So yeah. that's that's my opinion. I'm, I mean, I'm not – I don't necessarily think they're going to win the national title because – the best team doesn't always win the national title, and there are a lot of things that go into that. But uh, I, I feel like right now, if, if the tournament was a best of seven series, I would be I would probably pick Gonzaga to win it. Yeah, I really hope they finally get it done just to get this monkey off their back. Right. Yeah. It, it, I hate having to do this every year. Be like, yeah, Gonzaga is actually really good, and then they go and lose in the Sweet Sixteen, or you know, they lose right. to Wichita State in the second round. Please don't lose to Wichita State in the second don't round, Gonzaga. Them. Yeah. That could happen. Wichita State, aren't they like projected to be an eight or nine? Maybe they could be. Yeah, something like that. In that range, yeah. That, How that great would, would it be if uh, Wichita State played Kansas in the second round of the tournament this year? Oh god, oh god, that'd be great. All right, so, so, and Connor can't pitch the game winner over Kansas. <laughs> <laughs> that would make Kansas fans really happy. All right, the last thing I do want to talk to you about. Um, sure. So you broke the biggest story in college basketball. Uh, yeah. This season, but you broke it two years ago. Take me through how you discovered uh, Chum Frank Mason and, and why you uh, you turned this thing into a thing. Because that was you that did it, right? Yeah. So there was a guy, uh, Corin Goble, who wrote for he he was like a Grantland contributor. Sent me an email one day, and he was like, "I found this rap video um, about Frank Mason," and I thought I, I thought you'd be interested in, in reading it or, or listening to it. I mean. So I listened to it and I was like, oh, that's kind of funny. And then 
I, I, I think on it and I'm like laying in bed that night after I'd listened to it. And like, it dawns on me that that was Frank Mason's voice in the beginning of the song. Like to me, it was just like somebody made a song about Frank Mason and okay, that's kind of funny, but whatever. It's just some weird fan who made a song. But then I remember, I, I thought back to it. I was like, was that Frank Mason's voice in the beginning? And I re-listened to it and it is, it's Frank Mason introducing the song. Like he appears on his own song about himself. And at that point, I thought this is the most ridiculous thing in the world because Mason was – I think he had just completed like his sophomore season and he was he was an okay player. Wasn't if, if he didn't play for Kansas, no one would know his name. No one would care. Um, and Kansas had just he, – he had come in – or maybe it was his freshman year. I forget. He had, he had come in – I think it um, came out right after his freshman year, right before the start of his sophomore year. And like right, you yeah. found it in – I don't know, in the middle of his sophomore year when he in finally was like starting year. and Kansas fans loved him. Right, that's what it was. Yeah, so the song, so yeah, if you go back, the song came out. He recorded this song after his freshman year when he was like, he was in the class with Wiggins and Embiid and them, and he was just a, a, a throw in piece of that class. They lose to Stanford in the second round of the tournament. Um, just, a, just a forgettable year for Kansas outside of Wiggins and Embiid. And Mason didn't really do much, and he makes this song about how you know, bitch, I'm Frank Mason or whatever. And, and I, I thought that was hysterical. So um, I, I tried to make it a thing. It sort of became a thing. People were, were mocking Frank Mason for this. Anytime he would do anything of note, we I would tweet something about bitch, I'm Frank Mason and, and kind of laugh at how, like, isn't it funny how he thinks he's one of the best players in the country? This is hilarious, um, all that. And then he turned out to be one of the best players in the country. And, and now it's not quite as funny because he seems to embrace it. So. Uh, it's yeah. cool how this has become a thing. I remember seeing a video. It was after he hit the game winner in Madison Square Garden against uh, it was Duke, right? Duke, so Duke, yeah. He hits that shot, and you go and and they have a, Kansas has like their all access like Twitter video where whatever it was in the uh, in the locker room, and you could hear the other uh, Kansas players in there screaming "Chump Frank Mason, Chump Frank Mason" as soon as yeah. he walked into the room, and it like it's become a thing. It's almost like a rallying cry for him, and. Um, it's kind of cool how it's come like full circle and went from a thing that, that we joked about to being right. like, I mean, look, I, for me, he's he's a lock for National Player of the Year basically at this point. He's got to kind of choke it away for Josh Hart or Caleb Swanigan or, or Lonzo Ball to, to, right. to get that award in my mind. Are you there too? Yeah, I'm probably there. Like I, I, I have a soft spot for Swanigan, um, just how hard he plays. And But, yeah, I, I would probably give it to Mason. I don't. It, to me, it's either Mason or Swanigan. If Swanigan won, I wouldn't be that upset. But I, I think, gun to my head, I'd pick Mason. So, but yeah, it, it is it is crazy because it, it was always supposed to be a joke. It was always supposed to just, like, be me making fun of Mason. And um, I thought Kansas fans would think it was funny. Because uh, I'm sort of doing that with, with uh, Mikhail Luke. Um, on Kansas, I call him the Ukraine maker because he's from Ukraine and he makes it rain in a perfect world. Um, and I and I do that as sort of like a joking thing because he's not actually like the best. He's not even one of the, the three best players on Kansas. So like I, I'm trying to like create this cult of personality around a role player for Kansas. And that was what I was doing with Frank Mason. It was like, wouldn't it be funny if we made this guy like kind of a viral sort of thing on the internet, um, even though he's not the best player and. And then Frank Mason turned around and said, "Actually, you know, it'd be even funnier is if I actually became the best player and shoved it right back in my face." So, yeah, he's got this thing about him where he is able to make plays down the stretch that he's like he's got this calmness about him. I don't know if it's just yeah, um, you see it in his face almost. Like it looks That's like I made this comment the other day, but it looks like every time you look at him, someone just told him his dog died. 
Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's what makes it like kind of funny too, is the song is him proclaiming bitch on Frank Mason. Yet when you like watch him play, he doesn't really like his demeanor doesn't scream bitch on Frank. Like his play does. How good he is says that, but like he's not the guy who's hitting shots and is popping his jersey and and doing all that kind of stuff. He just kind of does his thing and and has a straight look on his face. And his demeanor is he just woke up from a nap. Right. The other the other thing I'd say about Frank Mason is uh, I feel bad for all the Towson fans out there that have to hear that he originally committed there. Like that was, or maybe we should feel good for them. Like is that the best? Is this the best thing that's ever happened to their program? That great publicity that this is where Frank Mason originally committed. Like they have to be reminded of that story all the time in, in this national player of the year run. It's like he originally funny story is he originally committed to Towson and he ended up at Kansas. And yeah, so I feel for those people, but all, all 12 of them out there. there. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, I don't know how big that fan base actually is. So anyway, all right, Mark, well, I appreciate you coming on man, and uh, kept you here yeah. long enough. Um, you guys can find him on Twitter at club trillion. You can find his work at the ringer.com. Is that right? the ringer.com yeah that'd be it'd be there so and uh you, you got a book too i think the book is still sold on amazon so why don't you tell everyone where uh you can get that yeah look it's it's sold on amazon uh don't put me in coach little book about my time uh riding the bench at ohio state a lot of fun stories in there so uh it was a while ago i'm starting to get old i got some gray hair in my beard now that feels weird so it might be time for me to go back and read that book i might I might have forgotten about some stuff. <laughs> Make yourself so, feel young again, right? Age yeah, is nothing right. but a number, my friend. Right. So. All right, Mark. I always I appreciate it, man. Thanks for the time. Yeah, thanks for having me. Let's jump into Peppa's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore exciting places with Peppa play sets. Peppa Pig, inspiring kid confidence.